Here's your microphone. But this is wonderful. I'm draped in dogs, and okay. I'm at your lovely home. Like, you see? Yeah. It's okay. It's safe. Bronson's He's skeptical. He's like sniffing it, making sure that it's not going to hurt me. It will not hurt you, I promise, Bronson. Oh, well. Okay. And uh, I wanted to have you on for a number of reasons. First one being, you're my new agent, and I wanted <laughs> to meet you in person. I thought this would be a cool way to get to know each other. It's a wonderful way. And, yeah. you know, the second, this... This podcast is ostensibly about kind of belying the myths of the modeling industry and getting some behind the scenes information for people who are curious or just looking from the outside in. But you also have a wildly fascinating story. I heard you on a podcast and I was like, I got to talk to this guy in depth. Mm -hmm. And so here we are. Right and on. It's just a conversation. It's nothing yeah. crazy. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Too. I mean, it's my pleasure. But there is one official first question that starts this whole thing off. Right on. And that is, what were you up to when you were seven years old? What was I up to when I was seven years old? Mm -hmm. um, well, I was uh, I was performing a lot. Okay. You know, I come from a family of performers, so I really, I you know, at seven, I thought, well, okay, this is what we all do. So I, I would, I used to put on a lot of shows. I was really interested in. Um, Broadway musicals, believe it or not. I mean, yeah. not to be stereotypically, you know, gay, but... Um, I grew up on Andrew Lloyd Webber and all that stuff, oh, too. Oh, yeah. there you go. So see, it's yeah. like it, it has different effects on different people. I, uh, my mom uh, really, you know, she worked on Broadway and we, we lived in Hell's Kitchen. So, um, you know, we she took me to a lot of Broadway shows at a very early age. Mm -hmm. and uh, And then I really loved the Broadway musical brought to film which during you know my youth was 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 a trend it was happening a lot back then so i was putting on a lot of shows i was drawing a lot i was very creative i i drew a lot and like i created art you know all the time mm -hmm. i was obsessed with my record albums um i learned how to use the record player you know very early for those of you yeah. that don't know it's that's what vinyl is played on <laughs> All the hipsters who listen to this know what right? that is. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad it's coming back. Yeah. Um, so that was, I mean, I think that's like, I was in New York. I was living in New yeah. York at seven and I was that. I was, I was, I was, that's, that's who I was. And that's what I was living. I was living, you know, I thought at that point I was going to be a performer. Like, you know, yeah. my dad's side of the family are all musicians. Okay. And my mom's side of the family are all actors. Interesting. So they are all on stage making a living. So I thought at seven, I thought, well, you know. Yeah. I mean, I thought I was going to end up a doctor because both my parents were doctors. <laughs> oh, right on. But like my mom, from a very young age, and this is something her mom did for her, was she thought it was really important to expose me to the arts. So I went to the symphony. I went mm. to musicals. We had season tickets to this big outdoor theater in St. Louis. I saw, you know, every... Broadway show, quote unquote, mm -hmm. in St. Louis. And I think that exposure to such a broad range of just artistic mm -hmm. productions yeah. um, influenced me as well. I was super creative. Always, mm -hmm. I was always in the art classes, always doing like art camp, always had a stack of paper next to me while I was watching TV. That was yeah. my jam. Yeah. I was not super performative, even though I went to circus camp and some weird stuff like that. Because uh -huh. I was an only child, so there was no... Oh, so am I. Oh, really? Yeah. So I, I didn't have the audience or like the the cast to play around with like a lot of people would dress yeah. up their brothers and sisters yeah. and do that kind of thing but i think that creativity made me interested in just making stuff and i ended up in the performing world sort of by happenstance because i coming from st louis i didn't know that world at all right but right. 
you know, I'm curious what sort of flipped the switch from thinking, okay, I'm going to be a performer because, you know, my parents are both artists. I'm exposed to all this great stuff in New York City. Mm-hmm. How'd you end up on the other side of the curtain? Well, it happened with high school. I went to uh, the High School of Art and Design. Cool. They, you know, in New York, they have like all these vocational high schools. And um, I was accepted to performing arts and music and art, but I really thought that I would want to spend my time, um, you know, doing visual art. So I, I got accepted and, uh, and I kind of thought, oh, cool, this is going to be really cool until I went to orientation where they said that we were going to go to school three hours longer than <laughs> the other public school students around town. So I just was so bummed that I still had to learn things like, you know, trigonometry and algebra and, you know, all the things that you have to do in, in high school. I eventually dropped out of high school at 16, but while I was in school, I took up fashion design, fashion illustration mm-hmm. and costume design. And, uh, that whole crowd was really into Italian Vogue and French Vogue and all of the fashion magazines. Yeah. And so at one point we were asked to do a paper on the one of the businesses of fashion. And they gave us a little short list of different types of, you know, industries that we could do a paper on, business on. And one of them was uh, mo- fashion models. Mm-hmm. And so I immediately, um, I went to, my dad's side of the family is married to Brooke Shields' family. Interesting. So Brooke and I, we were. she was the flower girl and I was the ring bearer. Wow. Uh, my aunt, my, the baby sister of my father, married uh, Brooke's only cousin. And so we, on both sides of the family, we were the only kids that, of that age. So we bonded sort of together. Yeah. So by the time this was all happening in high school, she, we're, we're very close in age. She's like a month younger than me. Oh, cool. Um, when so I asked I I you know I started interviewing Terry Shields who was her mom, and Terry said you know this is gonna you have to to do this right you're gonna have to interview some of the modeling agencies, so she introduced me to some people at Ford, mm-hmm. and I went to Ford um, with my little tape recorder and yeah. I was given an incredible you know reception because of who referred me, and. Um, I eventually, you know, I got an in. I got, I got to be the the um, pro, like protege. I was an intern protege for uh, a man named Zol, Zoltan Rendesi, who had a beautiful modeling agency. You should look it up. Named Zoli. Zoli. Yeah. Um, there was the top four agencies in New York were Ford, Elite, Wilhelmina, mm-hmm. and then Zoli was the last. But Zoli was known. This is what's really interesting. Zoli was known for having really exotic women that the other agencies wouldn't necessarily take. Yeah. And Zoli was also known for taking the male model from looking something like um, Henry Fonda, mm-hmm. very sort of generic yeah. um, kind of commercial men. And he introduced the more high fashion man with the striking blue eyes and the sharp cheekbones right. and the really intense um, beauty that became more of the the norm of, of, of male models. So I was in a really great environment to learn how to do things progressively. The next agency I worked for was Click Models, which mm-hmm, sure. was also at the time, uh, 83, 84. They were um, the most progressive agency in the world. They were, yeah. the name of the agency Click was uh, in homage to the fact that the taste of the agency was um, catered to the photographer and not 
to the buyer, you know, the Bloom, Bloomingdale's buyer sure. or the fashion design house people, you know. So all of a sudden, you know, like we were able to represent Elle McPherson when every other agency turned her down because she was six feet tall and every other agency adhered to the five, seven to five, nine or 10. Right. The strict rules. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and they were like, honey, you're too tall to be a model. Well, we proved them wrong. Um, yeah. you know, click also had, um, Ingrid Bergman's daughter, Isabella Rossellini, sure. who was huge. She was like one of the biggest Vogue cover models, um, of the early eighties. And, uh, you know, she was five, six and she was older. She was like in her early thirties she was a journalist, actually, and she asked the owner of Click if there was anything she could do to, like, write a story or help the agency. And the, the owner <laughs> of the agency said, no, actually, you can model for us. Yeah. And the rest is history. But it was the first agency to have fully tattooed guy, um, the first trans model, Terry Toy. Uh, Jenny O was the first bald model. Attila, who came from here from uh, Manhattan Beach, um, was the first long-haired male model. So I was um, indoctrinated into the business, always looking at it through the lens of of, of doing something different. Yeah, I that everybody up on else that was doing. Yeah, I mean, especially early on, you're talking about being with Zoli and mm -hmm. like ex the exotic look was not, right. Now it, you, diversity is pretty ubiquitous. Like it's all you know, it's right. It's sort of usurped the the industry standards. But mm -hmm. back then, I'd imagine that that like. That was not even on the radar. Not a, not at all. In fact, um, one of Click's biggest models was, um, oh, she's an actress now, Talisa Soto. Mm. And Talisa had a very distinguishable, what we call today, like the Puerto Rican Hispanic look. Sure. And um, all the agencies turned her down, just like Elle. They told her that she could never be a model because she was too ethnic in the wrong way. <laughs> that you either had to be black like Beverly Johnson uh -huh. or you had to be white like Christy Brinkley. But no in between. That in between, yeah. you know, the best thing you could hope for is like maybe a dark haired girl with blue eyes like Kelly LeBrock. Yeah. But Talisa Soto was turned down. And, you know, the next thing you know, she was an immense supermodel also. She did Calvin Klein. And, I yeah. Mean, but um, yeah, we were not. We had Whitney Houston. We had like a really nice uh, roster. Not we. I mean, I was an assistant. Yeah. I was an assistant there, but uh, you know, the collective we. Yeah. But uh, it was a great place for me to learn how to be a model agent. And, yeah. You know, so I I brought that to Los Angeles in '89, and I had a really killer career um, between 1990 and 1996 as a uh, model agent, specifically for men. Um, I just enjoyed the um, the team the team uh, sportsmanship type mentality that you know male models had yeah that men had back then more than females I didn't really enjoy um, the typical female models um, persona and the right. way they they approached they they were too competitive with one another and the guys were more like yay our agency got the job that's so great well it seems like you know going back a few decades. The male model was almost strictly background to the this female supermodels. That's you know, absolutely true. I yeah. I know all these from when I was a child in the nineties, like all these mm -hmm. Sports Illustrated models, uh Victoria's Secret Angels, but I there was like Fabio and then mm -hmm. I can't think of anyone else. You oh. know. And then two thousand maybe late nineties, two thousand, you started to get the like Tyson Bedfords and like, you know, mm -hmm. these guys started popping up. But that seems like a trend that's relatively recent. And so maybe that 
influenced um, a more collectivist mindset as opposed to this scarcity mentality of the girls at the top who are like, if I'm up here, there's no room for anyone else. Mm-hmm. Where the guys are like, well, we're all just supporting characters anyways. Let's be a, let's be a gang. That um, reminds me of a really interesting story. This was in 1996. Yeah, 1996. There was a, uh, a high fashion designer that, because of the context of the story, I won't say who it was, but yeah. there's a high, high fashion designer that everybody knows that was uh, doing a new ad campaign for their, um, their homeware, like, you know, dishes and sheets and towels and things like that. They mm-hmm. You know, and they were going to shoot it with Richard Avedon, like the, sure. the legend, the best photographer ever. And the the women, the, the you know, they were all the top supermodels. Uh, you know, I was uh, the men's part of an agency called Women, right. which represented like Naomi Campbell and Kate Moss and a lot of the. So they were booking the the women at um, six figures, um, like but like between fifty and a hundred k, and. Uh, they were offering the guys, the male models, like 5,000. Yeah. And um, what I did at that point was I started circulating. I sent a letter to all of my competitors that had the best. Because I had, I had an agency called Sky, which was the, be- the top male models of the mid-90s. And mm-hmm. So I contacted the three or four other agencies that had the guys. And we wrote a letter. We wrote a collective letter saying that we would not make our guys available to this job if they didn't come up on the rate. And, uh, you know, to make a long story short, um, we ended up with uh, a fairly sizable rate for the guys. We really did. Yeah. I don't even know if I want to say the amount, but it was definitely something respectable. Yeah. More commensurate uh, with what the women were making. Exactly. It was much more commensurate with that. So it was a, it was a triumph, you know, it was a real triumph. Um, for me, um, that was kind of at that point in my um, model agent career, I had done like all, I had hit all those places that you went like Calvin Klein and Ralph Lauren. Sure. I had done all of the, yeah. the 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 milestones. I had booked a guy on a fragrance for a million dollars. Like so I I started to migrate into talent and I moved back to Los Angeles and mm-hmm. got, you know, more into um, management of artists. You know, music well, it artists, seems like yeah. you have this. Um, you have this mindset that's very, not egalitarian, but like there's room for everyone. You know, you, you gravitated towards more diversity in a time when it wasn't in fashion. You pushed for men to get, which is a funny argument for like men to get equal pay to women. Mm -hmm. Um, and you did it by banding together with other agencies in a, yeah. in an industry that can be super cutthroat or at least perceived as really cutthroat you gra- oh, yeah. you gravitated towards this more collectivist idea mm-hmm. and then the you know rising tide raises all ships everyone kind of wins mm-hmm. what do you think it is about your personality your upbringing or your exposure to the industry that that allowed you to have that sort of outside the box thinking i want to say that uh, it had a lot to do with um I was always attracted to what was progressive and what yeah. was, but yet I didn't want to exclude what was popular. See, I was into top 40 music, but I was also into really eclectic stuff mm-hmm. that, you know, that nobody was listening to, but was really cool. And then um, having worked at, you know, having been molded by Zoli and Click, you know, those two agencies, um, you know, even if you look back historically, they, um, they kind of, they brought the industry forward. Yeah. And so I was 
I was molded and I was taught the industry not at one of the places that was adhering to the status quo, to the norm. I was, you know, I was taught to always push the boundaries and which is like kind of what I'm doing now with commercials with Ferrari talent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it seems like you want to be at the forefront, forefront of trends because, you know, if you set the trend that diverse is in and these, you know, mm-hmm. ethnically ambiguous looks are now what's it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be the agency that's like, oh shit, we need to scramble to find these talent when they're all the good <laughs> ones are snatched up, you know? Yeah. They're just they're trying to fill yeah. backfill the roster with what yeah. what is a safe trend as opposed to being the trendsetter. And, you know, that takes some bravery, but also takes just a, a little bit of taste. And I think that's what maybe separates the uh, yeah. populists from the uh I think you're right. The groundbreakers. I mean I'm I, I'm definitely consider myself a visual artist. Um and, and what I do for a living, you know, representing whether it's models or actors, it's a visual business. Yeah. And I've been able to apply you know, I was also a, an art director and a creative director in my past. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I've been able to apply those principles to how I market my talent, how I market models, how I market actors. Yeah. And I think that I do it more for the reason that I want to be inclusive. I want to allow people that, you know, are different to have fun in the in the place at the same playground. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That's always been really important to me. That's kind of the reason why I I love representing talent. Is I'm very passionate about it because I understand, you know, I grew up around talent. I grew up yeah. around performers and I know how how difficult that can be and I know how um, bad representation can be. Yeah. And I saw all the do's and don'ts while I was growing up, you know, and I asked yeah. a silly question when I was like 17 at a dinner party. I was like, so where do, where is it that, you know, managers and agents, like where do they get their training, their education so that they can look at actors' work and, and know, you know, Mm-hmm. how to critique it and everybody at the table was in the industry there was even some reps there and a lot of actors and and they all laughed at me and you know at 17 you know right. you, it's you, you cringe at something like sure. that you don't want to be embarrassed and they all said oh no 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 they 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 get the same they get their education the same place that movie critics get their education <laughs> it's just self it's self-appointed yeah and i just it left me dumbfounded so i went and studied acting with uh one of the most intense acting teachers in New York City. And, uh, you know, I had to do the work. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, she knew why I was there and I wanted to really, you know, be able to speak the language of actors. I, yeah. you, know, I, you know, I did the work for two years. I really, you know, I, I dove in and I got deep with, you know, how to bring, breathe life into a, a scripted character that you're, yeah. you're able to interpret, you know, and how to make them, like really authentic, like what is authentic and what is, what does that look like? What is subtext? And, you know, what is, uh, you know, a counter reaction, you know, to what people think, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're embarrassed, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't play embarrassed. You play the person who's really struggling to hide how embarrassed they are by by laughing and, you know, like kind of laughing it off and acting like they're relaxed and like it didn't affect them. Yeah. So I, I, I went deep and I really, um, I thought it was very important to learn what what they need, and um, well, that's such a smart move from a managerial standpoint. Because you know, I studied architecture in college, and we'd have these guest lecturers come in who are alumni of the school, and they'd be like, "Go work in construction, because you can design the most fantastic building in the world. You give the plans to it, 
you know, construction manager and they're like, you can't fucking build this. Like you need to know the nuts and bolts of how things mm-hmm. are made mm-hmm. so you can design something that the the people who are going to physically build it can actually use or else you're just like the man in the sky with these grand plans that are mm-hmm. not possible. And I think getting that boots on the ground perspective has helped you not only give the talent that you manage what they need, but also have an idea of, you know, what the the movements are down there. You're mm-hmm. not from this like huge aerial view necessarily. Agents kind of get this reputation for just being behind the computer and not knowing the struggles day in and day out of an actor maybe. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's such a smart way to go about both the macro and the micro sense of your business. Thank you. And then, yeah, the, 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 to the diversity point, I mean, you grew up in the ultimate melting pot, which mm-hmm. is New York City. Mm-hmm. And I know you were, this is one of the coolest parts about your story, but like a Studio 54 kid at like 13. Yeah. Um, so you saw, I'd have to imagine, I, you know, I, it's hard for me to imagine, but Studio 54 is not all just cookie cutter people. It was very diverse, very outrageous. Yeah, that probably had a big influence on, you know, my aesthetic as well. Yeah. It was like, you know, they had like... Um, you know, the working class blue collar person right next to a celebrity and the celebrity would be next to a famous athlete and the famous athlete would just be, you know, next to some, you know, hairdresser from a, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a wonderful mix. I mean, you know, Steve Rebell and Mark Fleischman who took over after they, um, they really loved, um, they loved creating with people. They Mm -hmm. loved, um, using, you know, different people as their, their colors on their palette. Yeah. And that, again, that was something that became part of my, you know, my strategy on how to, you know, build a, a talent department. Yeah. I mean, build a model department, you know, like really, you know, I did something really, I, not that I want to pat myself on the back, but I kind of do in the early nineties. I just, I always, I was like, when I do this podcast, I want to remember to tell this story. Please. When I got into male models uh, agenting in LA in 1991, the look was very much like uh, Henry Cavill. It was very yeah. Superman, sure. ripped abs, very like you know mid to late 20s guy with a square jaw. Mm-hmm. You know that was what was a male model, and I, I wanted to have a little fun, so I um, I started recruiting. These younger, skinnier, punkier guys who yeah. looked more like heroin chic, a little Kurt Cobain-y. Yeah. yeah, and like the the clothes hung in a better way, and well, especially for fashion you know, and runway, like you don't yeah. want well, broad I, shoulders and exactly. huge pecs. Like these I, don't fit. Yeah, we, I did a Dolce and Gabbana show. I I I repped most of the boys in the one of the first Dolce and Gabbana shows, where the boys were all like they were pretty much five ten, five eleven. One guy, Paul Forgus, was five nine. But they had um, really sort of beautiful, almost androgynous faces sure, yeah. and weird hair and, you know, um, and they just, they, it was a different aesthetic. And we, we sort of, and, and it was, it was a, the perfect time with grunge rock happening, mm-hmm. you know, um, it was the perfect aesthetic um, and we had fun with that. And I mean, I, I was young and so I, I was, I went a little crazy with the attention that I got mm-hmm. and the, um, because it was a worldwide thing. I would be, you know, I was flying to London, Paris and Milan for the men's collections every January and every July. And, um, you know, the other modeling agents in LA were not going. They did start going after they <laughs> found out that I was going and yeah. I was coming back with like, you know, incredible, incredible people t- to represent. So, um, you know, I was, I was sort of, uh, bartering. I was like, 
bringing these beautiful California, you know, heroin chic boys that some of them were like, you know, the kids of celebrities. And, sure. you know, it was just they, they came with this whole sort of mystique package. And I would um, recruit, you know, working models that would like were doing out. So even if they were kind of more of like the square jawed Superman guys, I was getting those guys that were really, you know, making a ton of money. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was getting them for the Los Angeles market and I was shipping out. I was exporting this incredible <laughs> look that I was, you know, just finding yeah. you know, over and over. And and the women, at one point I got uh, promoted at that agency and I became the director of the whole agency. And um, in that three year period, we had like... You know, I signed Jessica Alba when she was 12. I wow. signed uh, Amy Smart when she was 14. I signed, uh, you know, Angie Harmon. And Mi- Mila Jovovich was already there. I'm not going to take the credit for her. But, yeah. you know, we had um, Monica Potter. I mean, it was just like Hillary Swank. It was mm-hmm. a, we, in three years, we really, we launched. All of us that worked at that agency, we've all sort of, you know, discussed this recently, you know, and we've like, wow, we really were at, you know, we were at an apex. We were at this really cool place that changed the zeitgeist yeah. of of nineties. Of Completely nineties. Yeah, we 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 brought in like Ethan Brown, who's Jackson Brown's son, and we had a really a litany of just really interesting, in you know, and 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 beautiful in different ways. Yeah. So um, and it seems like that trend is circling back. I mean. Across the cultural spectrum, I mean, after the '90s, we had the In Sync and the Britney Spears period mm-hmm. that make you know paved the way for all the way up to Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. And now you go to Melrose, and I think you're seeing a lot more grungy, almost like ska, no doubt looks. Mm-hmm. And you know, we had our our Chris's and our Ryan's and our Marvel superheroes, mm-hmm. and everyone was probably definitely doing steroids. Mm-hmm. But now. Who's the hot? Timothy Chalamet is the hottest actor, Isn't that and that funny? guy weighs like a buck ten, was soaking mm-hmm. wet. Yeah. So I think maybe I should lose some weight. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I I think it's a beautiful thing. I think that you know people aren't getting kicked out. I think just more people are being yeah. invited in Absolutely. to what is beautiful. Yeah, and that includes the classics. You know, that includes it's where I think you know as a culture we're broadening our perspective the playing field is much more even yeah and that that means i mean 90 percent of the work isn't going to tall blonde haired Mm blue-eyed girls but they're getting some work and they're probably Mm -hmm. getting an equal amount of work as the you know dark-skinned girl with like light hair and yeah it's it's more of a mix and does that mean that i might be in the background on that corona shoot yes but like that's okay (laughs) i can deal with it i'm okay with it you're the token white guy now. yeah Yeah. i i know my role i'm fine with it (laughs) especially these these years like i know i know where the industry stands and uh i know you've you've kind of had this career trajectory where you you will establish yourself in a new and like burgeoning market rebranded almost entirely across the board and then you'll bounce like you bounced around in new york Mm -hmm. you started working agencies when you were super young Mm -hmm. you kind of made a name for yourself in new york came to la made a name for yourself here at several different agencies Mm -hmm. built up commercial departments and agencies Mm -hmm. and now you're on to this new thing starting ferrari talent Mm -hmm. these jumps that you make is it boredom is it just wanting something that's uh the pressure is on or is it you know looking for the next Mm -hmm. angle i don't know I think it's a combination of things. I think it's like a combination of um, what's going on at the moment in my life and what's going on at the moment in the industry 
And uh, I kind of look around at my landscape and I just want to make sure I don't get sedentary. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, I I produced a a Broadway musical that went to Broadway (laughs) for a year, Head Over Heels with the Go-Go's music. That took eight years and we got to Broadway in 2018. Wow, congrats. And we, we spent, uh, thank you, we spent like uh, 10 months open uh, at the Hudson Theater on 44th and Broadway. And uh, I got to tell you, you know, it, it, was, uh, it was a lot of work, but it, it, I, my life is performance art. Yeah. I got to be honest with you. My life is performance art. And I don't want to sit still for a moment. I want to affect change and I want to uh, affect aesthetic change. Mm. You know, I'm an artist and... Whether I'm doing that with, you know, a drawing or, you know, whether I'm doing that with, you know, selecting people and offering the casting directors a new idea I yeah. mean, or showing talent with like new pictures. Like, yeah. you know, I'm totally, you know, moving away from, you know, I, I can't, you know, I'm a commercial agent that can't stand commercial headshots. Yeah. They're awful. I mean, I think they're just so boring and they're so inauthentic. And at a time when we're doing things like Instagram... You know, I'm much more attracted to, uh, you know, editorial portraiture, also known as celebrity portraits. And I'm attracted to selfies. I'm attracted to Mm -hmm. a beautiful selfie that a person takes because they feel confident and relaxed. They don't feel pressured to, you know, they're not a sitting duck. So the look on their face is just exquisite. Mm-hmm. Or someone hugging their loved one or their child the or their mom. Joy, yeah. There's a there's a look on their face that just is so exquisite to crop and to make that into a headshot. Yeah. I've always had a bone to pick with commercial headshots because mm-hmm. you know, you take commercial audition classes and it's all about, you know, face towards the camera, cheat out. They gotta see your face to book you. That's your moneymaker. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like your eyes aren't always down the barrel, but when you mm-hmm. take headshots, you are looking down the barrel constantly. Yeah. And it just feels so forced where it's like, if my gaze is slightly off camera and I'm mm-hmm. deep in thought or I'm more reflective or pensive or whatever the emotion yeah. is, you can still see my eyes. Like, is it that big of a deal? And I've always, absolutely right. I've always You're wondered about right. that. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, well, the people that, that accept headshots are, agents and managers mm-hmm. and um with all due respect to all the agents and managers out there a lot of them are just not creative at all well tre- there's these trends too and everyone shoots with the same photographer yeah, for a couple they, years well they're, they're followers in terms of that because a lot of to be fair a lot of agents and managers are really good at business mm-hmm. they're really good they're very savvy on how to make a career make money yeah and that doesn't necessarily come hand in hand with the the artistic ability to stretch boundaries with photographs. Right. You know what I mean? That's a, that's not a prerequisite to be a, a talent rep. So it's been always, it's always been my advantage um, that I, you know, come from a create, I always approach everything with a creative eye. Yeah. And um, it's always been my career advantage, which is why I was able to succeed. I mean, look, let's face it. You know, I'm a successful guy that dropped out of high school at 16. <laughs> yeah. And so it's either this or Taco Bell for me. (laughs) You know, I don't know how to do anything else. This is what I do. And um, I mean, I'm blessed. I'm grateful that I'm able to manifest that into um, uh, a a successful career and that I'm able to help so many of you, including Mm. you, Mm. move further up the ladder with your careers. I mean, I love sharing, you know, the knowledge that I have on, 
you know, marketing and, and all of that with with people that are serious about getting somewhere. Yeah. You know, you guys have it so hard now because of social media. Like everybody's calling themselves a model yeah, or an it's actor. So saturated. Like everybody, like it, it, just any human. And and unfortunately there's a lot of buyers that are buying that and they're offering the talent like, you know, five hundred bucks in perpetuity to, yeah. to own their image, not even license their image. So that pays for the wages, that pays for the models, you know, day to go and shoot all day for eight hours. And it also pays for the licensing of their image for however long and however wide, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I, it's atrocious. But I think, I think um, when we come out of it, I think it'll be a huge lesson for yeah. all of those that are trying to make a living from their looks Mm -hmm. or make a living by being in front of the camera a lot of people you know they think that they can just decide that and i can't tell you how many people have said to me oh well i'm coming to la and i want to be an actor but while i'm pursuing acting i think i'm going to (laughs) model so modeling will sort of pay for my my bills while i while i pursue acting you know and i have to break break the news to them that you know both of those are actual careers and careers depend on you know investment of time and effort and money as you well know michael mm-hmm. i'm not telling this to you for you i'm telling this for your audience but it's it's a curious thing is what i'm saying yeah. to see so many there's so many young people now that want to be influencers and i think that pendulum is swinging it's like at its apex you know it's so saturated everyone has thousands of followers everyone you know what was it warhol said everyone have 15 minutes of fame it's That's like 15 right. seconds yeah you know i'm Angel yeah. Lynn, who was the last guest on the podcast, her Halloween costume went viral and she got 10 million TikTok views. And like so many people have that story that it's not even interesting anymore. Mm-hmm. Not to discredit her <laughs> amazing costume, but mm-hmm. I think there might be a movement. I think, you know, the generation below me, I'm a millennial, but my sister's a Gen Z. Mm-hmm. They're almost being more like they're pulling back from it, putting mm-hmm. everything out and trying to be more private because that's what's more exclusive and mm-hmm. more in demand is this like, I don't know, trying to maintain some of yourself for your private life. Mm-hmm. So I think that pendulum is going to swing back towards the, the midpoint and we'll see, you know, maybe some of these wannabe models and actors who think I'll just go to LA and give it a shot for a year and mm-hmm. I'll, it'll work out. Like, mm-hmm. I think they mm-hmm. might drop off because it's not going to work out in a year unless you have some wild success story and, yeah. you know, the training foundation to back it up and have an actual career off of that wild success right. fluke chance. Yeah. But the meanwhile, the rest of us who have been at it for years are just chipping away. And I think, you know, those will be the people who have some staying power yeah. as opposed to this always stars always. in the, the eyes people, approach. I mean, there's always a wave and this has been going on for decades. I can talk cause I've been doing this for decades. Yeah. There's always a huge chunk of the quote unquote competition that fall away after a year or two. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people just, they, when they start to discover like what is necessary to yeah. put into their, for their career, they just realize that they're just not willing to, to put that into it. So the competition is a lot smaller. I always tell actors, I'm like, don't worry. Like the competition is not as big as it looks. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that are just going to fall away. And it happens every year. And the longer you wait, the older you get, yeah, the I smaller mean, it, your circle gets. Yeah. I mean, you just sort of define it and refine it and define it just like sculpting, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, eventually you, you get somewhere with it. You know, mm-hmm. if you really 
stick to something, you know, you do, you get somewhere with yeah. it. You find your niche, you find your niche, then that's what it's all about, really. It's yeah. all about discovering who you are, who mm. you really are. Yeah, absolutely. And what that can offer the universe. Yeah, and I use that word discover, because I think a lot of my almost 10 years in this industry has about been about getting more in line with who I am and bringing that to the jobs or the audition rooms. And that's, as I find out who more of who I am, I'm able to inhabit other characters more It's this weird recursive process. But the the myth about modeling and even acting is just being discovered, mm -hmm. walking down the street on vacation in mm -hmm. LA and mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're Johnny Depp. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen. You know, so it, it, people, that's what they want when they say, oh, I'm going to give it a shot. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was in college and like, I had this secret desire to be an actor and I would joke about being a model and I never really took it seriously because I had no clue how to do it. Mm -hmm. And I'd have to get like, I would have to be drunk to say it out loud. One of my friends was like, dude, go to LA and just like, give it a shot for a year. And in my head, I was like, that's reasonable. Like a year is a good amount of time. But honestly, now looking back, give it 10 years. Like you it has have to, to do yeah. 10,000 hours. Sure. And I mean, Tom Cruise gave it, a, he had a 10 year plan when he came here. John Hamm, you know, yeah. he spent 10 years. He said he got his ass kicked by LA for 10 years and then boom, he's on Mad Men. And now look at him. But he had to spend 10 years where mm. most people would have been like, fuck this. Like I'll yeah. never be successful. And you won't if you leave. Exactly. That's true. And poor John Hamm, he has such super classic looks. It must have been so hard for him. Because yeah, you know, I mean, it just has that super, you know, he looks very like he's out classic. of the 60s, yeah. yeah. And it's like, what are you offering us that's special? You know, yeah. what is what is unique about you? And what was unique about him is that incredible array of talent to mm -hmm. do comedy and drama and right. to not take himself too seriously and to you know be kind to others and to really work at his craft and get incredible yeah. at it he's an incredible actor oh his range you know he's so stoic on mad men and he can say so much with just like glare mm. but then he goes on snl and he's funnier exactly. than most of the cast members exactly. exactly that is a rare trait you know yeah he's incredible and you know, I'm I'm curious what you look for as you. I know you've probably pulled some of your talent over from your old agency as you built Ferrari talent. And when I reached out to you, you were like, "I'm I'm actually letting people go right now. I'm not onboarding." Mm -hmm. And you made me like really court you. I had to kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no. I I actually appreciated that because a lot of the agencies I've signed with, it's been like a cursory glance of my materials. And they're like, okay, we'll sign you up here, the paperwork, go. Mm -hmm. And it's very impersonal. You, whereas you took mm -hmm. a real interest and there were several conversations in a FaceTime yeah. and you you even said, you're like, I don't know, I'm just interested in you. And I was like, that mm -hmm. made me feel better than a immediate yes. Because yeah. I worked for it. You really looked at me, you really considered me. And I'm curious, you know, what sort of metrics you apply to your potential talent or in developing the talent you already have as you want to elevate their career? That's a good question, yeah. I go with my gut instinct. Yeah. I have a really strong, good gut instinct. It's been developed over decades of yeah. selecting talent. It's that taste. You have, you have 10,000 yeah. hours or I, more, 100,000 yeah. hours. I, I, I just, you know, I just go with, I like I look for a lot of things. It's just mm -hmm. a combination of things. But um, what I always stress when I do any talks or any anything where I'm talking to actors or models is don't try to like adapt yourself to what people want yeah um, or what you, you have, think they want yeah don't even go there just really become the best you mm -hmm. and let that become the product yeah 
Like, let that become the product. Yeah. And I always tell actors and models, like, you've got to design yourself every year. Like, so, you know, Michael Gable 2022, what is yeah. that going to look like? Yeah. You know, so it's just like a fashion designer or a car designer. Reinventing, you know, they go, yeah. the Lincoln 2022. Yeah. You know, Michael Gable 2022. What is that going to look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that going to? Because you're getting older. Trends are changing. And how are those two things going to interact? How are they going to yeah. connect? Those are my dogs yeah, playing dog in the background. It's fine. Yeah. I love it. And um, I, yeah, I, I think that's a really cool idea because I've always, you know, like I've said, I've been trying to get more in line with who I am and bring that to the table constantly. Coming mm-hmm. here today, you know, I've been running around. I was on a hike and I was doing errands and I was mm-hmm. like, I should change. I'm meeting Rick for the first time. I was like, no, this is me. I'm so glad you did like, that. Yeah. I got my trail runners on. I've yeah. got my ripped up favorite sweatshirt. Yeah. Like this is fuck. You got me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, yes, we can, when we work on my portfolio and my images, we can tailor it and massage it in one direction or another mm-hmm. for the 2022 Michael Gable under mm-hmm. Rick Ferrari talent. Like right. I'm excited for that process, but I want you to see the stripped down version before we try to move in any direction so we're not peeling layers off to then repaint. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. You're spot on. You're absolutely spot on. And that that uh, collaboration, that partnership mm-hmm. is where it's at. Yeah. That's where it's at. Like, you know, you're 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 inside the product and I'm outside the product. And that that sort of combination of my perspective and yours is what makes a winning, you know. Yeah, and I think another thing I liked about you, and I think that was a reason we'll have a good balance in our working relationship, the big part of it was the fact that you took an interest. You really wanted to dig down deep before you gave me any sort of answer. Mm -hmm. And you made me... I think I exercised some good restraint in how mm-hmm. much I reached out to you when you kind of get, you were like, I'm not looking at people right <laughs> exactly. now. Exactly. I asked casting directors about you. Yeah, I, kind I of, love that too. I did my research and, yeah. you know, and what I got back was so, it was so authentic and so uplifting and positive that I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is a, a good, a good idea. Yeah. And the other thing that I wanted to mention is like, you grew up fast, Studio 54 at 13, modeling representation, you know, representing models at 16, 17, mm-hmm. New York yeah. City. Me, on the other hand, Midwest, suburban, you know, public school, mm-hmm. slow pace of life. Also, I was a super late bloomer. So, like, mm-hmm. I grew up slow in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I didn't start modeling until I was 24, 25. Wow. Which is, I think, for the best for me. If I, I think that's great. If I, I was stratospheric at 18, yeah. A, I didn't have any, bu- I could have mm-hmm. maybe played a kid on disney channel at 18 (laughs) but i just would have fucked up my life and i think that combination of you have this fast you know streetwise sensibility where i'm a little more cautious and observant and careful Mm -hmm. and like to figure things out and then insert myself Mm -hmm. i think the combination of those two is really beautiful in their sort of symbiosis and i've always you know i'm very artistic as well like you and but my business acumen is not great. And I've learned that over the years. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really important to have a relationship with you know your representation of the person developing mm-hmm. you, not only aesthetically, but business-wise. And that's something I'm always looking for, almost in like a mentor relationship where it's not like do it for me like mm-hmm. handle my bills it's mm. it's more just like you know let's let's build something sustainable together that we both profit from in yeah. multiple ways That's so i'm excited it. about that me too i'm yeah. totally excited about that and i'm curious you, you know you talked about changing up the headshot game 
And you had mentioned in our conversations going towards a more like celebrity portraiture style mixed with selfies. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to put together a mood board. Like what, what do you focus on? Like what are you trying to pull out of each individual talent and showcase? I'm trying to pull out of each individual talent their, their, their personal character. Yeah. I'm trying to, you know, uh, whereas, you know, headshots are supposed to homogenize talent. Right. I am looking to, you know, accentuate what is unique about them or yeah. what is, you know, that gritty, authentic, you know, directors, you know, that's what they want. They want authenticity and they want people that bring something really valuable to the table. Yeah. You know, their skills, their talent, their acumen, um, their look. Yeah. And all of it combined is like, is what, what the product is, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that it's just better marketing you know it's time like look headshots became color in like the late 90s right and um you know color photography was certainly around a lot longer than that but that just goes to show you that it's it's an area where very few people are are courageous enough to to make some abrupt changes mm-hmm. and to just say, well, who, who says I have to do it this way? Right. But you have to be the first, you have to have the you balls know, to who make says? that. Yeah, like who says, yeah, like who says, well, I've done that so many times in my career that, you know, even leaving high school and telling my parents that, you know, I wasn't going to go to college and mm-hmm. get a full, you know, education was the same kind of move, you know, yeah. like, well, wait a minute, I don't need to follow the rules. You know, I can, you know, sort of make my own rules and make that work taking pictures of actors who are already trying to sort of stand out mm-hmm. from the crowd, I think it's super important to show who they really yeah. are and to sort of show something that looks more like a signature than just text, mm-hmm. you know? Text has no personality. Text has no personality, right. you know? Right. Pictures have to do the same thing. They have to really communicate what is really special about that person. Yeah, and I mean, it's so important because I mean, someone like me, my look is pretty dime a dozen in LA, like all American, scruff, mm-hmm. brown hair. Yeah. And I, I sort of, I also, and like yeah. the fact that I'm a model is like pretty like, mm-hmm. uh, uninteresting. And I almost, <laughs> I almost play with it and I play with people's expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I'm at a party yeah. and people are like, what do you do? I, I'll be like, I'm a model. Because a lot of people <laughs> will write me off. Right. And they're like, this guy's dumb. He's yep. a dick. Right. He's both. Right. And then I'm like, well, I probably don't need to talk to you. But the person who might try to dig a little deeper yeah. might find out that I went to an Ivy League school and I published a book and I make weird art. And yeah. like, I have so much more to offer. And a part of me is almost a little jade, not jaded, but mm-hmm. like, mm, like upset that I, that I get thin sliced so quickly. Yeah. So my defense mechanism is to be like, yeah, I am just a dumb dick. Fuck you. <laughs> but I don't want to be like that. I want, uh, every, you know, I want myself, people to see who I yeah. am beyond my outward appearance. And I want to, you know, that's why I'm so interested in people's stories because yeah. I don't care who I talk to. Everyone's got a wild story. Whether you're at Studio 54 right. yeah. or you grew up in Kansas, there's yeah. something really cool about you. Everybody does. I think everybody's story is worthy of a movie. I think yeah. it's just you have to just find the parts of it that are going to appeal to the world. But yeah. everybody's got it. Every, I think everybody does. For and sure. um, I think you're really on the right track with respect to you know having a really classic look that is very popular in, in California. Yeah. But you're really, you know, there's something different about you and that shines through and 
you know, I think um, I think you're up for the challenge is what I'm trying to say. You're, I am up for the challenge. You're definitely up for the challenge to sort of stand out, even though, you know, the, the universe gave you this sort of classic look. Well, and I was thinking about that, like, my looks, like, whatever. Like, I think I look <laughs> weird. I, I'm not high and mighty about the way I, I get that I get paid for the way I look, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But... You know, I with in relationships, you have that conversation. Like, what do you like about me? When you're just like, you know, pillow talking with mm-hmm. your significant other, and if someone's first answer is you're handsome, I hate that more than anything because mm-hmm. I have nothing to do with that. That has nothing to do with my intentions or how I treat them or how like my personality or my intelligence. If someone likes me because I'm handsome, that's the it's like, oh, I bought Gucci, so I have style. It's like so easy. It's low hanging fruit. And it, it, yeah, it's but I'm I'm gonna surprise you with something, Michael. Being handsome is not it's not just specifically the stuff you were born with. Being handsome has a lot to do with how you carry yourself, yeah, how you groom yourself, what clothes you choose to wear, how you groom your beard, um, how you carry yourself. Uh, it's it's a, it's such a combination. You cannot separate, you know, the dye from the wool. I mean, mm. it's just like. Being handsome, you know, because if you were, if you lived a different life and you had different, you know, intentions and you, you know, let's say you were strung out on drugs or you were, you know, a user or like a, you know, a really horrible kind of, you know, a person that really had no respect for life. I mean, your looks would not look the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? Your looks are like, if you are looking at a swimming pool from above, like Mm -hmm. a drone, so the top of the the surface of the water is your looks, but the bottom of the pool still shows. Oh, that's so interesting. So your outside and your inside is what makes the attraction. Mm. If a pool had like a bottom of the pool like that looked disgusting and dirty, <laughs> but that was just the paint job that it had that yeah. happened to look like it was muddy and slimy and dirty it wouldn't matter how clear the water it wouldn't is. matter how clear the water is because yeah. you know the attraction just wouldn't cut we wouldn't be able to it wouldn't be able to stand the weight it mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to stand you know stand the test physical attraction physical beauty is exactly like the surface of the water it's it's all affected by your mood mm-hmm. it's affected by your health your diet by so many of your choices your disposition to people, your personality, how you carry yourself, mm-hmm. what you think about yourself. There's so many factors that affect your outside Yeah. that when someone gives you the compliment, Michael, that you're very handsome, they're complimenting the in and the out. It's mm. very sweet of you to say. No, I'm serious. It's just because it, you know, it really, like by the time someone's having pillow talk with you, they've had a chance to really you know, experience you. Sure. Um, you're not a photograph. Mm-hmm. So don't throw away the outside. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's part of you, you know, it's all of you. It's, it's all you, you know what right. I mean? Like people say, oh, you wouldn't have dated so-and-so if they were a gas station attendant. And I'm like, probably not, mm-hmm. but not because they're a gas station attendant, but because the gas station attendant's interests uh, and the gas station attendant's lifestyle might not be attractive to me. Yeah, and I think that's, people have a tough time decoupling, you know, objective beauty words like, you're attractive, you're gorgeous, you're handsome. Well, not not attractive, but like, you're handsome, you're gorgeous, she's pretty, Uh is different in my mind than attractive. 
I can be wildly yeah. attracted to someone who's not yeah. conventionally gorgeous mm-hmm. or beautiful, but I'm like, I don't know what it is about that person. Like, mm-hmm. and then they're like, you like this pool analogy, like their outward appearance becomes their inward attraction. And like, it's all just gorgeous and you like, you yeah, can't resist it. Absolutely. That's what I look for, by the way, yeah. that, that you just hit the nail on the head. That's what I look for. I look for that pristine swimming pool. Right? Yeah. Like I look for, that's what I look for. Um, yeah, that's what I, I just to encourage the audience that wants to know more about this. Yeah, um, really, you know, really go deep inward, go inward rather than outward, and really play with that, play mm-hmm. with that, and and have a good time discovering parts of yourself that you didn't know. Yeah, you know, and and just just have fun with it. It doesn't matter what people say. People they like a Garmin if it's like in style and if it's like mark if people are marketing the shit out of that mm-hmm. particular thing. But then, you know, when it gets old, all of a sudden it's not attractive anymore. It's mm-hmm. like it's it's be, it's become something dated and embarrassing. Oh yeah. I mean, you um, see those trend like people wouldn't have got been caught dead in Birkenstocks a few years ago, <laughs> exactly. and then every fucking person has exactly. a brand new pair of Birkenstocks. I but remember throwing that? away Birkenstocks. But like, oh, what, this- yeah, but <laughs> what does that tell us? That tells us that beauty and and aesthetics they change as 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 much as the 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 trend and the populace. Yeah, you know the popular idea about it changes. Yeah. yeah. So that means if it changes that quickly, that means that it doesn't inherently have any permanent right uh designation of gorgeous or ugly and it's not it's not individual to eat. like i could have liked birkenstocks my whole life but right. i only wear them when i think it's culturally acceptable mm-hmm. to like them yeah and even like you'll even convince yourself you don't like them when they mm-hmm. go out of fashion but when they come back yeah like oh i always well i've always worn them you know yeah <laughs> people do that with boyfriends and girlfriends by the yeah. way yeah people have like secret relationships because they're embarrassed by some exterior, some superficial part of that person. Right. So they have like these secret relationships where like they don't want to be seen Mm -hmm. in public or with their friends or with the the scene. They don't want to be seen with that person, but they have something really dynamite that they, you know, enjoy. Yeah. And all of that is like part of the lesson of like, what do you find aesthetically pleasing? What what are you interested in and what are you not interested in? And just, you got to just own it. Life's too short to hide what you love i mean that's that's silly and um because our audience is a lot of la actors and models and i know your your company your agency is fresh um and you're interested you're looking for those pristine swimming pools Mm -hmm. but do you guys take people across the board are you mainly focused on commercial acting the last 12 years or so i've spent doing commercials I had to be convinced. I I was like, that's not sexy. That's not on brand. Yeah, I'm I mean, not going to do commercials. Commercials, yeah. commercials is so not me. But somebody gave me permission to do it my own way. Mm. So I started at Photogenics um, with Robert Downey Jr. and Paul Walker, <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden I was at the center of the universe. Um, everybody around the world wanted to meet me because I had these yeah. two guys. Speaking of pristine swimming pools, I heard Paul Walker is like crystal clear all the way through. All the way through, yeah. man. All the way through, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to sort of, I was around when his manager was first grooming him to, to be, this is before he did Pleasantville. He was like, you know, oh, yeah, you have a background in male modeling. Can you help Paul get some work you know, while we're trying to, you know, while we're trying to get him parts. Yeah. And I was, I was like happy to do so. I, I, you know, I was already out of the modeling industry, but I called 
um, a very close friend that was uh, at Next Models, and mm-hmm. I said, you know, I want to send you this actor, mm-hmm. and you know, he's really striking, and you know, I think you're going to make a lot of money with him. Yeah. And Paul started, you know, doing modeling jobs through Next, thanks to me. And uh, it's a beautiful. I love seeing people really rise to to their their potential. Yeah. I love seeing that, and I love being. I love helping people get there. Mm-hmm. To me, that is my college degree. Yeah. You know, to me, that is like my diploma I can show off on the wall. I know. And that's one thing that really scared me because I moved to LA with the job I was working in theme park design. Mm-hmm. But I secretly had this intention to get to LA to try to get on set and pursue mm-hmm. this childhood weird dream to mm-hmm. be in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways I talked myself out of it for the first couple of years was mm-hmm. like, well, it's not a meritocracy. If your mm-hmm. dad's not an actor, if you're not rich, if you can't afford this or that, mm-hmm. like it's it's not about work ethic, it's not about talent, whatever you want to call it. It's just about luck and connections. And I was like, well, I don't I'm from St. Louis. Like I mm-hmm. went to school in New England. I don't have that at my disposal. But I've realized over the years that it really is about your work ethic and it's not about your genetic gifts or your quote unquote talent or Mm -hmm. if you're a prodigy Mm -hmm. or if you're you know maybe it will help if you're fucking kubrick's kid or whoever Mm -hmm. um but it's not it can it can hold people back like my my best friend is uh he's uh, got a very famous set of parents and um you know he's he's going through it with the acting career you know he's really and it's know, probably for the best. He's for struggling, him. but yeah. it's it. You know, I think it's a great thing in a, yeah. in a weird, odd way that it's mm-hmm. it's sort of become a disadvantage um, because people expect too much from that person. Yeah, they 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 assign all these expectations because they think that they know that person just because of who right. their parents are. Right, and uh, it can be even more challenging for them. I've been around it. Trust me. So yeah. Um, the beauty of it is that everybody has challenges mm-hmm. of their own, unique to themselves. They have their own set of circumstances. And it's up to all of us. It's up to all of you listening to this to really figure out how you're going to overcome your challenges and be true to yourself and find out who you are. Yeah. You can't be true to yourself if you don't know who you are. If you're still like window shopping on like being goth or being a punk rocker <laughs> yeah. or you know being country... You know, you're not in a place yet where you can um, propel yourself as a product, as mm-hmm. a you know, as a as, as a career that where you sell your own physical self, mm-hmm. whether that be a dancer or a model or an actor or yeah. a musician. Yeah, and I mean, when I first started trying to pursue the modeling and the acting, I was 25. I was in Venice. I had long man bun length hair. Mm-hmm. I wore wacky thrift store clothes. I was still mm-hmm. figuring out who I was. Mm-hmm. And I booked so much less work then because I was just throwing everything at the wall. Mm-hmm. And I was changing like a chameleon for every audition. Mm-hmm. And now the more I've said like, fuck it, this is what they get. You know, I'm going to show up as I'm dressed. Mm-hmm. Not to that extent, but it's worked out more and more. Because there's nothing more attractive. There's nothing sexier. There's nothing more beautiful than confidence. Mm. And... There's a lot of confidence that shows through when somebody is making choices not for other people's pleasure. Yeah. If you're just making choices that really please you and that really identify you, yeah. then you're confident. And if you're confident, your energy is going to attract people, whether you're at a singles bar or whether you're at an audition mm-hmm. or 
whether you're on a go seat for modeling, you know, where, whatever situation you're in, if you're abs, if you're, if you have authentic confidence, mm-hmm. not fake confidence, right? That's something else. That's a whole other animal. But if you're sincerely confident in who you are and what you look like and what you bring to the table, there's no doubt that you're going to attract work. There's yeah. no doubt that you're going to attract success in whatever you're pursuing, whether that's a date or whether it's a career. Yeah, it could be any career across the board. It could be anything. You know, I this, mean, c- confidence is it. That's the yeah. secret. That's the secret weapon. That is the um, superpower. The yeah. superpower for everyone is confidence. I agree. Um, I don't want to take up all your time, but uh, <laughs> um, it's fine. I mean, I just I don't know how how much your audience is going to want to hear me drone on. Uh, no, I just I'm uh, I represent talent and. At the moment, I'm, I'm my plate's full, and I'm really happy about that. And um, I'm not necessarily, you know, I'm not, I'm not pitching my agency. I don't want a, like a million people to hit me up yeah. for representation. Um, what I want to do, what what I'm doing here, talking to you, is hope. Hopefully, I'm helping someone out there that needs the right information, so yeah. that they're not floundering out there hearing really bad information which there's so much of Mm -hmm. so to be honest with you i mean i'm i'm cool like you know not promoting my agency i'm i'm just i'm here to promote like you can do this you can do this yeah i love that i mean the whole goal behind this podcast is exactly that it's yeah um there's this latin maxim that's be a blank canvas for others to paint on. That's and, right. And I think that's, that's right. what you're trying to do with all your endeavors that's throughout right. the years. And I mean, I, if I wanted to prevent other people from taking my jobs, I would not have this podcast, but <laughs> I'm trying to share the information because it took me a, lots of years to find it and embrace it and understand mm-hmm. it. And the more people who understand it, I think, you know, mm-hmm. that rising tide is going to raise all ships. So um I, you know it's funny when you said be a blank canvas it struck me in an odd way it really it hit me in the solar plexus and what i immediately my brain just thought right away it's mm. not a, necessarily not to contradict you but it's not about being a blank canvas because that's so boring to look at <laughs> it's being like sculpt sculptors know what i'm talking about it's about being alabaster or being mm. you know a certain type of stone that is going to no matter what is no matter what it's sculpted into it's still going to retain its identity mm. its unique identity yeah so that's what i would love to promote rather i mean i i've used the blank canvas thing so many years but right now it struck me and i thought you know no there's you have to maintain who you are so that then other people can't because you can't be all things for all people. No. So therefore, you have to be you, and then they can begin to put characters on you, like you know Johnny Depp has done or Gary Oldman has done. And yeah. These are people that have transformed themselves into yeah. so many different characters, but they're still their essence. Their essence and their talent is still what. So it's that that stone that gets sculpted. It's like the David. I released it from the stone. Yeah, it was in exactly. There. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's still the the same stone. It's just happened to be, you know, sculpted. Yeah. You know, so I'm going to change the way I quote Latin <laughs> maxims. That's a perfect way to I end this. I love it. What a great way to end this. I appreciate it, Rick. Thank you You're so much. Welcome. Thank you so much, right. Michael. Bye, kids. Bye.